Welcome to the Sexuality Workshop. My name is Jack. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not be done. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. Um, we remind you that this session is being taped. All speakers must sign the release forms. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format of this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by questions from the floor to the panelists. The topic for this session is sexuality and OA recovery, letting go of shame. The following is a reading from Voices of Recovery, page 52. We are taught through loving acts of tact and kindness under difficult circumstances that we are given far more than a normal uh, body size as the result of taking OA's 12 steps and remaining abstinent. Since recovery in OA is a transformational journey, conflict with others, others is inevitable and often unavoidable. The shame and low self-esteem which preys on us afterwards is the voice of our disease calling us back. Today, I can view my differences with others, both personal and philosophical, as opportunities to identify and overcome my knee-jerk reactions to the world in which I live. I can tolerate feelings and sidestep the temptation to abbreviate my discomfort by speaking or acting inappropriately, knowing that a short-term fix won't work for someone like me. I pray that I am always to seek God's help to move forward towards the most harmonious relations with others, knowing that my abstinence may hinge on my reaction to life in this moment. The OA principles will always lead me in that direction. Our first speaker is Judy H. Hi, I'm Judy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, can you please close the back door because we're going to have sex and (laughs) I still like the door closed. (laughs) Oh God, I I really don't have a sense of uh, what's going to be said. I was just out in the hallway calling my sponsors saying, let go, let God, right? Because uh, I, I thought this was going to be about sex, really, and then Jack just read that thing and didn't seem to have much to do with sex for me. So, uh, sex for me, I learned to masturbate when I was five, five, the age of awakening. A lot of things happened at age five, but that was one positive slant. And... Um, I've been a pretty sexual person all my life. Uh, The whole idea of letting go of shame around my sexuality doesn't speak to me very much. I had shame about my obese body. I weighed 85 pounds more than I weigh today when I first got here. So I had that kind of shame. Uh, But in terms of uh, my energies and my juices, well, smell maybe I had that going. But uh, in terms of... um, My animal instincts and my uh, proclivities toward sexuality, it's not a shameful area for me. And uh, in fact, I see it as a cause of celebration. And uh, I was just thinking about something now that I want to share about, because some of you know I was very active in the treatment field for many years of really making people know that obesity was a disease. Isn't it funny now that just last week the American Medical Association said maybe it's a disease? And it's wonderful. But I was at it 40 years ago, and we were having all those big battles. And, uh, and here, look at all these years, and still. Anyway, and then I realized as I was sitting here, but when people start talking about sexuality in that sort of medicinal way, I have a direct opposite response. I get very judgmental and wah about it. So I just want to talk about that for a little. Um, mm. (laughs) I'm just thinking to myself, I've loved this weekend. I've had a great time. I loved doing the meditation thing yesterday, and I loved the forgiveness workshop this morning, and it's all been great. 
and now I'm going to fuck it up. <laughs> because now I'm going to say stuff that's going to get people pissed at me. And I so crave being loved and adored. But uh, not, not really. I, I think I just want to say about this is that uh, working in the treatment field for so many years and being an OA member for 38 years... Uh, and I guess maybe the early 80s, I don't know, those who were around, remember we were all carrying around little teddy bears and healing our inner child, and that became the big therapy watch word, do your inner child work, blah, blah. And that passed. And then we had another big wave of, well, the reason you're obese is because you've been sexually molested. You may not remember it, but that's probably it. And I sat in these staffings and listened to this caca, Till it made me crazy. And I, you know, I was training counselors and they would go to these workshops for one day and say, we, we all think that these many people report sexual abuse, so blah, 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 blah. And then they would kind of try to push their patients into acknowledging these things. Well, why am I pissed about that? I shouldn't be that upset about it. I remember once in a staffing, a, a counselor came in and said, well, uh, talking, presenting a patient, and she said, uh, well, uh, you know, she's an incest survivor. I said, oh. I said, well, what, what do you mean? Well, you know, she's an incest survivor. I said, well, what did you learn? She said, well, she told me she's an incest survivor. It's a label. It's a T-shirt slogan. I said, well, what does that mean? Can you go back and find out what she's talking about? So it comes to pass at the next staffing, she says, well, what it was is that her dad used to walk around in his underwear and a counselor before told her that that's really a form of incest for him to do that. Now, there you are. Now, another person who's been really penetrated, violated, blah, blah. Okay, but let's not mix. You know what I'm saying? So it made me crazy. But the thing that really made me crazy about it was to medicinalize or pathologize something that I think is very important for our growth because I think it is a spiritual endeavor. So I know these are just opinions, and just like rectums, we all have one. <laughs> if we're lucky. <laughs> but um, it, it hurts me. It just hurts me somewhere deep, and I don't know why yet. I'll figure that out. I guess because... I want to have more fellow travelers. I want to have uh, more sexy, hot, juicy women celebrating their gifts. And, you know, I've written a lot about this. There's a lot of stuff talking about women's sexuality and how really hot we are. And we live in a culture that says that the men are the real hot-to-trot people and that the women are kind of demurring and shy and... You know, then we have the hottest women, the overeaters, becoming, well, I'm a victim of incest or... So, anyway. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have talked about this. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, like the French call female orgasm la petite mort, the little death, that when we finally get that last one, we go, <laughs> we're done. So... There are some people who said they thought that the reason for that was so that women wouldn't get up and walk away after they'd been inseminated because it might fall out. So that, they, that nature wanted women prone, you know, for a while to think. So that, the theory was always that the, the little male sperm swam upstream to the ovum. Not true at all. There are, wow. Hairs from the uterus that pull the sperm up. We are so in charge of this thing. I'm telling you, and I am so upset about woman as victim sexually and all this talk. Uh, so just three weeks ago, a new report came out about this issue of women having so many multiple orgasms and the guys needing their little rest break, you know? And what these uh, writers were saying was that this was 
that nature created this to make sure that the egg would get impregnated because uh, if it was just one orgasm, the women would be out of business and they'd, you know, they'd be done. Whereas nature wanted women getting up and finding another partner for another chance to impregnate that egg so that many of us were having multiple orgasms to give a lot of eggs a chance, if you know what I mean. But that really meant multiple partners. It didn't mean the same guy had to perform so much because so much in our culture is about men being afraid of this heightened sexuality of women. You know, even Freud, I don't have penis envy, but you do. Uh, you know, telling us that we had penis envy. I mean, do, do you know any woman who can describe their penis envy to you? All I ever heard from women was, how do they walk, you know? <laughs> the only people who suffer penis envy are men. So, anyway, don't get me started. That's not really what I was supposed to talk about, I don't think. But uh, I got it off my chest. Viva la volva, love la labia. That's what I say. It's just very important. It, it, and one other thing I want to just emphasize is that I'm getting older and a lot of my friends are getting older and I'm noticing a lot of women getting hunched in, you know, because we will if we don't work at it. That, so I really want to recommend that everybody try to strut their stuff this weekend. And uh, the thing that was taught to me was by a yoga teacher. She said, you know, think of from your hips down as a, a pedestal and then from your hips up is a vase on the pedestal and walk leading with your, your pedestal, your, your base. So I'm just suggesting that as, you know, and you don't have to have a body that you like in order to do that. It's about internal energy. It's about the look in your eye. You know, actually, when they asked men what they thought was most sexy about women, they said confidence. And it's about what you're up for. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I was responding to the, the timer thing. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been saying things in a jocular way, but it's really one of the most important and serious issues as far as I'm concerned. And it has an awful lot to do with our eating. Because it's not about the quantity. It's about the style, you know, and so I know a lot of you might be new and you think it's about the calorie counts of what you eat or the fat grams or the sugar, but it's also about the manner of ingestion. You know, who is this vessel and how does she take in, take in the outside environment? Such an intimate act, cross my boundaries, chew it, use my own juices to break it down to make new cells, new parts of me. So, passionate could be, I eat my passion, or I pass on eat. But, what are you doing in the kitchen and in the bedroom? Now, I talked a little bit about this on Friday at the meditation thing, so excuse me if you were there, but it's about uniting our animal and spiritual selves. And I quoted the gospel uh, song, Peace in the Valley. There will be peace in the valley for me, and the lion will lie down with the lamb. And the beast from the wild will be healed by the child, and I'll be healed from this creature that I am. So when I came here, I was a creature. I was eating, guzzling, fighting. I was a wounded animal. And there was no ability for anyone to penetrate me. My tombstone was going to read, nobody got the best of her. <laughs> right? And gradually, I've paid attention to how I take in substance from this orifice and how I take in people that I want to have connection with. So, you know, this makes things a lot more complicated. Uh, I can't take my body anywhere. I can't take my soul and spirit. 
can't do the same old stuff anymore, the unconscious, can't do unconscious eating and can't do unconscious screwing. It's just not, it doesn't work. My body goes, you know? I'm not supposed to be here. Now, I slept with all kinds of lesser companions. Oh, believe me. You know, I worked for a heroin addiction program in New York, and I slept with the patients, newcomers. I did a lot of sleazy stuff. One of my great memories uh, was coming out of a blackout in an apartment at 46th and 8th Avenue in New York City where I had been dating this pimp. He was a tall black man who wore a white cowboy suit. And uh, I woke up with him pointing a gun at me. And I don't know what I had said to him. I don't have a clue. But I got out of that somehow. But I said, hmm, I'm on a dangerous journey here. (laughs) It didn't quite stop me for a few years, but it was one of those reckonings where you know that your behavior is a little off. Uh, I remember I was once uh, in early recovery. No, no. No, it was. It was my first year, but I was still doing a lot of sleeping around. And I was on a a vacation by myself in Hawaii on the beach, and I had met these nice ladies on the beach, and we talked every day. And uh, Then I had one of my wild nights of like having appointments of these different fellows showing up at my room. And uh, me? Anyway, I'm a nice Jewish girl from Brooklyn, but that's who I was. And uh, so the next day, I told the ladies on the beach, and they went, I'll never forget how they stared at me. You know, like they thought that that was aberrant behavior. They thought that was weird, and they didn't quite like me as much anymore. So, Today I am in a committed relationship for 17 years and I sleep with only him and it's great most of the time. Sometimes it isn't. It's like real life, you know? Um, So what was I going to tell you? About... um, So I still don't even have shame about those things because they're part of my story. They're interesting. They're like colorful for me, you know? And it makes me so available to hear other people's stuff. I don't have a judgment about it. It's like, of course, yes, move on, you know? Uh, Not move on, but deal with it. Um, So, you know, food is a fuel, and it's about how we feel about the life force radiating through us. Um, let me just read something. There's, this article is so difficult for me that I keep reading it over and over and still don't understand it. I've had it for about 10 years. I constantly reread it. It's wonderful. But let me just read this one thing. Death, birth, sex, eating. Oh, let me, sorry, let me give you background. She starts out with... Uh, a bird gets loose in her house and the cat goes after the bird like crazy. The cat like... And then all of a sudden, the cat and the bird stop like in the cartoons. Eyeball to eyeball. And she talks about the energy in that moment of the kill and relates it to our sexuality. Okay. (laughs) Well, anyway. Anyway, she's just talking about that moment of death and the excitement and the energy in that. And that's kind of what we face in our sexuality. Surrender. Letting go. And No wonder it's hard. (laughs) No wonder it's hard to have a a sexual relationship. I mean, there's so you know, there's so many people in the room. You know, there's your mother and my mother, and your, and you know, and then all of the people I carry in my head, and so. um, But I guess you know, I just wanted to say I have concern about it being 
shameful. And I, I'm not trying to put down people who have shame around it. But uh, I guess because I, you know, it seems that those were things that were taught to us from outside. We were born a natural animal. I was born a creature. And my work here in this recovery is to unite my creature with this powerful spiritual beam. And my work is to keep connected. And that's why I like to keep my food in order so I'm on the beam so that I can trust the wisdom of that organism because she'll take me into the right bedrooms and she'll take me to the right meals like that. (laughs) So, um, I think I wanted to say a lot about that and I didn't get to read it, so let me just look and see if I can remember anything. Anyway, it's mostly what I said. It's about becoming translucent, vulnerable, semi-permeable, you know? So isn't that our issue in all the programs is about establishing our boundaries as well as letting go and letting people in so we're not locked down like that lobster that John talked about in the last thing was so great. He said, you hear John? Anyway, he said a lobster needs its shell to protect them, but that every year... They have to shed their shells so they can grow and get bigger. So that's us too. Instead of being locked down in our shell to let some things in and not others, semi-permeable. And uh, um, that's the work here. (laughs) It's not easy, but it's fun if you can get behind it. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Our second speaker is Laura J. Hi, I'm Laura. I'm a compulsive overeater. Judy, thank you for your share. Um, God, I like literally want to throw up on this. Um, I'm so nervous. <laughs> um, I'm really grateful to be here. Diane, thank you for having me and letting me speak. Um, it's so nice to have Jack sitting next to me. I've known Jack my whole recovery. Um, and to qualify, I have five years, um, two months and 22 days. And I came into this program when I was 21 and I just turned 27 this past week. And, um, and, um, my abstinence date is everything to me. It's April 7th, uh, 2008. And, um, I was dying when I got here, and I'm not anymore. And, like, that's, you know, the message is just to keep coming back. Um, I'm grateful to have a little bit of my posse in here with me, (laughs) my Eskimos in the room, Um, some people I love that are in the room. And I love you all because this room is full. And, like, I know already that, like, I'm not, I'm literally not alone right now, you know. Um, I'm not alone in these feelings because if I was, um, you wouldn't be here. So, that gives me a lot of peace. Um, I am pretty comfortable talking about sexuality, but I've never spoken on like where I'm like supposed to talk on sexuality. <laughs> so here we go. Um, I have always been um, a very, very sexual. I was a very sexual child. I had sexual thoughts. I sexualized everything. Um, I remember being like five it was first grade what however old you are in you know first grade probably five or six um and I would like there was this little boy Andrew and I would imagine like giving him a blowjob like that is what I thought about and nobody told me what to do like nobody told me to do that you know like I didn't see images of it like I didn't see anything I just sexualized everything and I always thought of sex um no matter what and I would, like, be singing in church, and I would, like, have these little thoughts, and then I would think, like, I was singing them out loud, and then I would be like, oh, my God, like, I'm going to die. Like, someone's going to kill me. Like, this is a horrible thing. Like, I'm a horrible person. And I know for me that, like, I was born um, 
for me, like, I really believe I was born a compulsive overeater. It didn't, like, I didn't take out on the food until I was around 13. But I was born with these thoughts. I was born, like, restless, irritable, and discontent, like the big book talks about. And I was born uncomfortable. I was born uncomfortable in my body. And um, I always wanted to know, like, what I could do um, to make you love me and to, to feel less uncomfortable. And maybe it is shame. Like, maybe that's the word. Um, For me, I just know, like, sex has been something that I've really had to work at. And um, so I also, so I had all these little thoughts. And, God, I'm so glad you talked about masturbation. Let's talk about masturbation. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm not alone. (laughs) I probably started masturbating when I was, like, 10. I was like, this is the greatest thing I ever found. (laughs) Like, I just thought this was the greatest invention. And, um... But I I was really sexual, and I didn't have an outlet because all I was told was, like, do not have sex until you're married, no matter what. You know, like, that's the home I was raised in. So I'm like, what are these thoughts? Like, I'm a bad person. You know, like, that's just kind of, like, been my consensus. Like, if I think this, I'm bad. Um, And and what I've learned here is that I'm definitely not a bad person. Um, My thoughts aren't bad. Um... I'm sick, but my sexual thoughts aren't sick. Like, they're just normal. Like, I'm just really human. And I feel really human sitting in a room full of people who want to hear about this topic, you know? Um, so, let's see. I, I, um, I, started going to cha- I started going into chat rooms as a little child. Like, I hadn't picked up the food, but I needed some release. And I would have these, like, online, like, back in the day, an AOL. Although Jack still has an AOL account, you guys. Okay? He does. Okay? <laughs> Jack does. Because <laughs> I asked him for it a few weeks ago, and I was like, you have an AOL account? Oh, my God. Brought me back. Okay. So um, I would go into these chat rooms when I was, like, 10 years old, and I would have these um, – I would, like, lure adult men into relationships, um, and they didn't know that I was, like, a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old or a 13-year-old, and this went on for years. Um, and what it reminds me of is that, you know, like the big book talks about is, um, I put myself into, in, I put myself in positions to be hurt. That doesn't mean that what happens to me or what I do is my fault. It just means that like, because of the way I think, sometimes I put myself in dangerous situations and that's really hard to look at. And I've done that here. Um, so I put myself in these posi- positions and nothing ever happened. I never met any of them. It was just all over the phone or like over typing. And I would like get other people's um, photographs of like older women. And I'm like, this is me, you know, like, and I would like describe what I looked like. You know, it's like all like I'm a, I'm a really good liar. Um, and so I just I, I can I continue doing that. And then I picked up the food. Um, I did not pick up the food because, well, I'm, I'm not a compulsive overeater because I was molested. I'm a compulsive overeater because I really believe I was born this way. I don't have proof, but I know that I was always obsessed. I had an obsessive mind. Like, I was obsessed with your body and my body and what you thought about my body and what I thought about your body. And, like, I just needed constant body approval. Um, and those thoughts have gotten better, but they haven't gone away. You know, they just get better with time. Um, so... I was molested, and that was my first sexual touch. You know, the first time someone ever touched me sexually was abuse. And that was really, really hard. It was the first time I also spoke up for myself, and I was like, please stop. I didn't say please. I just said stop. But you know what I mean? I was just like, stop, you know? And he didn't. And I just kind of ran with that, and I was like, okay. Like, I I spoke up, and he didn't say anything. You know, he didn't stop, and I felt really uncomfortable. And, And that's when I remember picking up the food, and um, it was a really good outlet, and I'm really grateful that I had it because I was so uncomfortable. Um, and I thought that I deserved it. I don't know if my mom said this to me, if I was in the room when she said it, or um, my perception is so off anyway. Like, maybe the television said it, and she was in the room, and then I heard it. But what I heard at a very young age is being beautiful is a blessing and a curse. And that was right around the time that I was molested. And I was like, whoop, it's my fault. I'm cursed. You know, like, I, I, I called this because my mom always told me I was beautiful. My grandma always did. Therefore, I've, I've you know, I've done this to myself. Um, and thank God today, like, I, I don't believe that. Um, <clears throat> so I, so what I started doing was um, I didn't lose my virginity until I was 20. I held on to that. And, um, but I found my self-worth in 
um, blowjobs. Like, that's how I found my self-worth. Like, the way people would diet, like, the, the numbers and the calories, like, I would, like, figure out, like, how long it would take me to make you orgasm, to make me feel good. I need less time. I need this. I need that. And, like, it was all math to me because I needed to feel good about myself. And when I realized that I could make men feel better, um... I thought I felt better. You know, I grabbed that, I, I held on to that self-worth, and um, I made that my self-worth. You know, it's like I attach my self-worth to people, places, and things. Um, recently, this is totally off, this is not off subject, but recently I was doing an inventory with my sponsor, and um, when I was 20, well, he promised me everything, and he didn't give me anything. But um, this guy, was he was like, I'll be your sugar daddy. And I was like, great, cool. I just moved to L.A. I was 19. I was the thinnest I'd ever been. And um, I thought I was on top of the world. And, um, and we were sexual for a little bit. And he took, me to, um, he took me to a Clippers game and not a Lakers game. And, like, in my inventory, like, that's why I was upset at him. Because you took me to a Clippers game. You, and, and she said, why are you upset that he didn't take you to a Lakers game? I was like, because the Lakers are better. And, and, they're, and, and, they're, and they're good enough. And she was like, see, all you do is attach your, you know, your self-worth to people, places, and things. That if you're at a Lakers game with somebody, you're better. And that's my truth. You know, it's like if I'm sitting in a room with the Lakers, I'm better than you. You know, or it's like if I'm sitting on, you know, the front line and not the back line, like I'm better than you. You know, it's like that's how my head works. And I have to work these steps to get out of that. Um, so it's really great. I'm grateful that, you know... I can see that today and just kind of like laugh it off and be like, okay, great. Um, so to speed up, I, um, it, here's the other thing. Like I don't have, um, there's a part of me that really wants to talk in a general way. Like I want to be like the good girl, like standing up here, but like, I'm just willing to be really honest because that's what I have to do. So, um, I, um, I continued going in that that pattern of giving to you and never re- receiving anything in return with with men, um, and and little and girls too. Like I, I'll say that too. I'll get to that today. But um, I've always been attracted to women, and that terrified me forever. Like, thank you. That terrified me. I thought I was a horrible person. Like that's not something we talked about. It wasn't like a bad thing in our house. It just wasn't really talked about. I didn't know it was okay to be attracted to women as well. Um. And so I, um, uh, when I would, like, make out with girls, like, when I was little, um, they'd be like, oh, it's so fun, you know, and I'm like, wait, I want more. Like, where'd you go? Like, come on, like, can we keep doing that, you know? And they're like, no, it's so gross. Like, we're just playing. And I'm like, what? You know, and it was, like, always, like, that need, like, I needed more. And, like, in my fourth step, what came up a lot was, like, I don't speak up for myself. I don't let you know what I want in a relationship. I don't ask for what I want. I don't give you actions that allow you to know what I want. I expect you to read my mind. Um, and if you don't, then I'm really upset at you. Um, so anyway, so I want to fast forward to 20. Um, I, um, let me think. Okay, so I lost my, I, I, I'm like stuttering. Okay. Um, (laughs) I was sodomized, um, and which is a form of rape, um, three months before I lost my virginity. And so for me, what I've come to terms with is that it's okay. Like, I don't have a healthy view on sex because it wasn't, like, shown to me. You know, it's like I, so many times my, the, the sexual situations that I was in were harmful. Um, I, I didn't, you know, it wasn't my fault, you know. So three months later, I lost my virginity. And then two days after that, I was vaginally raped. And it was like how am I supposed to have a healthy view of sex when all it is is abuse, you know? And so what I've done, to, you know, in the last five years is look at, um, you know, it was not my fault. It was really hurtful. It was painful. But, like, it doesn't always have to be my story, you know? And, like, it, it was really confusing, and it, it scares me to say this just because I, when a sponsor said it to me, I was so pissed off at her. I was so angry. But I finally see it today. Um, so please take what you want and leave the rest. It's literally what the big book says. Like, I put myself in positions to be hurt, but that does not mean that being raped was my fault. It just means that, like, when I am, like, living in this disease, I make really bad choices. 
And what I've learned now is that um, I get to look at that and, you know, take it for what it is and, like, move on. And what I've also realized is that um, I, since I've been abstinent, y'all, I have never put myself in a position to be hurt like that. I got out of that, like, tornado of torture and stopped putting myself in these situations with men that were really harmful. Because if you had food or if you had alcohol or if you had something to offer me, like, I wanted it. And those were some of the reasons I went to these people's houses. Because you had more food. You know? Like, you had more alcohol. Like, I needed those things to feel good enough. And in the last five years and two months, I have not put myself in a position to be hurt like that. And, um, and I'm really grateful for that. And that, those are the things that keep me abstinent. I think about those things. I don't ever want to be raped again. I never want that to happen to me again. I never want it to happen to anyone. Um, but I have to look at, like, my part, and my part is different from, um, the, like, my part is different from, like, I have no part in what happened to me physically. I just have a part in, like, going there. And I look at that today. Um, so where am I now? Um, I This program gave me the ability to look at some other things in my life. And so I'm in a new fellowship. And that sponsor, my, my OA sponsor suggested this many times. I was not willing to do it. Um, but I finally heard it. We do not hear anything until we're ready. Um, so I have not been dating for nine months, and in a few months I'll be able to start dating again. And I have discovered a little bit more of who I am, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, and in the last nine months I've, like, wrestled with the fact that, like, I really like women too. Like, I really want to marry a man, but I really like women too. And that terrifies me. I don't want to be different. I just want to be like, let's just go on the path, you know, and, like, let's just do this. Um, but this program asks me to be you know, thorough and honest. And if I look inside myself, then I have to, like, I have to explore that, or I will probably eat again. And I don't want to eat, well, I eat every day, but I don't want to eat compulsively, you know? Um, and today, like, um, I, I like being in my body. I have had sex in the last five years that has been healthy. I was in a healthy relationship for the first, thank you, for the first um, year of my abstinence. And it was beautiful and it was great. And then also there were times, you know, like the first year I was not abstinent <coughs> and the second year I was. And talk about using food and sex. Um, I started noticing that I would get hungrier after sex. So I was like, let's just have more sex. And then I have another excuse to eat. And that was really good for me. And Maybe I really used him. I don't know. Like, he was an active participant. He wanted to do it. Um, But I will find any way to get food. I will find any way to make myself feel better. Um, I will find anything to make me look better, you know? Um, This morning we were in the body image workshop, and we were talking about contrary action. And for me, it's contrary action to wear a dress. Like, this is not normal for me. I do not want to be feminine. I don't want to throw on makeup. I don't want to, um, I don't want to draw attention to myself or my body, you know, but these program, like this program has taught me how to show up and be a lady and, um, and to be an example. And for, for me, when I came in, um, I wore yoga pants every single day. I mean, everyone joked about how, like, all, you know, all our awareness is yoga pants. And people would ask me all the time, like, why can't you get dressed? You know, and I was like, I'm too fat. You know, and, like, that was not the truth. Um, I don't know if I said this, but I am 60 pounds down from my top weight. So it was really uncomfortable. Um, and today it's like I get to show up like a lady um, despite how I feel. Um, I wish I could just like throw on whatever I want and just like go out into the world and like feel the way I look on the outside, but that's not always true. But this program has taught me to act better than I feel. Um, that's really hard to do, you know, but like I'm willing to do it. Um, I'm willing to bring other people into the solution. Today, my prayer for myself is that, um, I start asking for what I want in relationships when I start dating soon that I'm willing to follow my heart and not my head, Um, that I'm willing to be in relationships where I'm not always hurting myself and I'm not always hurting another person. You know, I I thought people always did me wrong, and I've done a lot of wrong in my life, Um, and and I'm in relationships, you know. 
Um, I've had crazy thoughts of like my ex-boyfriend. I'm like, I have to marry him, you know? And it's like, for like three weeks, I was like obsessed with this. And finally I'm like, okay, let it go. Like, here you go, God. If we're meant to be together one day, we will. Um, I just, I really love this program. I love that I'm here. Um, and I love that, like, I didn't have to, I literally did not ever plan or think about what I would have to say today because it's not all about me anymore. You know, I was in the bathroom right before this started, God bless you. And I was texting my sponsor and she said, you know, ask God to speak through you and ask to be a channel of love and peace and let go. Uh, she did not know let go was the theme. <laughs> and my sponsor, oh my God, I love her, Ziva R. She's amazing. Um, that is my longest committed relationship. We have been together two years and six months. That's my longest committed relationship. You know, talk about learning intimacy. I mean, my gosh. Um, and I follow her direction, you know, and I, even though she's like, I'm not even going to try to butcher it, but she has a thick Israeli accent, and she's so awesome. So sometimes it makes our conversation just so much better because of her accent, and she says, sheep. And I'm like, what did you say to me? She's like, I don't know. She's great. I just love her. I'm, like, beaming right now. Um, She's taught me, like, um, oh, here come the tears, like David said. Like, she's taught me how to be um, a woman. And I came here as, like, a little girl. And, like, you know, Jack has been here, like, I've just grown up in these rooms, and I'm so grateful. Um, I'm so grateful that I don't wake up with a food coma every morning and that I don't wake up hating myself or my body or you anymore. I'm grateful that I have um, a healthy relationship um, this mo- with my body, even though it's not perfect. This morning I wrote... Um, I was in the body image workshop, and some of the questions were, like, really triggering, which is a good sign that I have to do some work to do. Um, and it became really overwhelming, and I just prayed for a second, and God was like, list everything you love about yourself. And so I just listed everything I love about myself, like the chicken pox scars on my, like, pelvic hip bone, my, like, long eyelashes, like, the color of my eyes, my fingers, my toes that remind me of my dad. You know, it's like... Sometimes it's not like this whole piece, but like what can I find that I love about myself today? Um, Because there's a lot to love. So my time's up. And um, I just want to say that something that's really helped me in in the journey of sex is pages 69 to 70 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for letting me share. And our third speaker is Joy A. Thank you, ladies. Very nice. This is a difficult subject to speak about. I um, usually don't have trouble speaking, but this is very, very uh, vulnerable. This is very, very fragile and speaks to the heart and the soul of a, a woman and a man. I can only speak from a woman's perspective, but I have to uh, admire the men that are here today and, and thank you for being here. This, is, this hurts too uh, for everyone when it's not totally perfect. And I don't know anyone who's had totally perfect experience with sexuality. But this is the most important and the most powerful aspect of who we are. And this is why it's so easily hurt and so easily, we're so easily wounded because this is where we have the greatest potential to let ourselves be vulnerable, to let ourselves be known, and to let ourselves be loved. And that comes initially from opening up to God and to experience that but usually most of us that's the last place we get around to it after we look for love in all these other places so I want to tell you a little bit about my life and my story Um, starting with my mother because uh, 
this is where women get their sense of uh, their concept about their bodies, their um, ideas about femininity. There, are you comfortable in being a little girl? What's your experience? And we get these from our mothers, our, the women in our lives, our aunts, our great-grandmas. So my mother, um, I remember I didn't experience a lot of things that little girls do, and, and now sometimes, you know, it makes me cry. You know, where your wounds are, I've figured out, is when you see something that makes you cry. And I started... When I see little girls that are so sweet and twirling around, you know how you see little girls. Oh, they just know they're so pretty and they're so special. That started to make me cry. It gave me a little idea of there was something that needed healing in my feminine soul, in my little girl soul. I never played dress-up as a little girl. I never thought about it until I was getting ready for this uh, panel. My mother did not dress in pretty clothes. My mother carried shame in her body, in her relationship with herself. I didn't know what that was about. I couldn't even articulate that as a little girl, but I experienced it. And so uh, I didn't go into her closet and get her heels and her boas and her evening wear. Uh, There weren't any there to get. There were no pretty clothes in my mama's closet. And so what that did, I, uh, I did play dress-up, but I played dress-up with clothes of shame, clothes of self-rejection. And I internalized those messages and those attitudes toward me, toward my femininity. And I wasn't able to embrace it. I wasn't able to uh, be okay with it because uh, mostly I didn't have the example but my mother did love me and at the end when I'm finished I, I, I want to make sure I give you a list of the gifts that I received from my mother this was not one of them but that's okay um, so I began to build my own wardrobe of shame of anger of self-rejection this was my wardrobe. I had a great and tremendous fear. This was a deep, deep revelation that I didn't get to for a long time. That truly, truly, I was not a beautiful girl. I was not a beautiful girl. I never heard that as a little girl. I never danced in a, in a princess costume like you see now. I would have loved that. That's natural for a little girl. I know that's natural. So this was my deepest fear, and, uh, and that my next deepest fear, if there could be one, is that I would never truly be sexually desirable. That was a terrible fear, because I, I didn't see it in my mother, and I thought, uh, I'm going to fix that in my marriage. I'm going to, I'm going to have clothes and makeup, and I'm going to be pretty, and I'm going to put time in myself, and that's going to make me that's going to fix that shame, and that's going to make me desirable, sexually desirable. So um, I did that. I found a, a man like my dad, an honorable man, a man that was um, emotionally unavailable. I didn't know that. I was always focused on my mother. <laughs> um, so I married this man, and, you know, the healing did start. God started healing aspects of the shame in my life. But not, I didn't know at the deepest level yet. And he took care of me. He provided for me. He loved me. Um, and then I became a mother 20, almost 27 years ago, 26 years ago. And that did great healing, too, because it was an unconditional love that, wow, you hold these babies. They love you, love you, love you. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to have makeup. You don't have to. You don't have to be secure in anything. They just love you, and that started to heal. Started the process to healing. See, God had to get me to a place where I could see the root of this shame. I had to be strong enough so I wouldn't be shattered. And we do. And I did get to the root of it. 
I did get to the root of it. But I can see in my life how my relationship with my higher power, which my mother told me about, she didn't teach me about femininity, but she sure taught me about higher power. And so I began to uh, get enough healing in my life, but there was still that, you know, I could see I was covering something up with the food, the eating. I was covering something up, and I had a sense it was shame, uh, body image, and uh, uh, com- being comfortable with my physicality. Uh, <laughs> I also uh, did some therapy because my marriage, you know, with a with a, a husband who uh, is not perfect and was not emotionally available, I, I needed I needed therapy for myself, and I started to unravel those things that were causing the 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 addiction to food, the uh, destructive behaviors. So the therapy and the marriage and the motherhood, okay, now God decided, I think she's just about ready to know what this pain is and what this wound is. And it has a name. It has a name. And uh, so I'm grateful. And I see that in my life. Like not one second before I'm strong enough does God reveal, okay, here's the next place. I want to make you whole. Here's the next area I want to make you all. So um, there was, you know, you know what got my attention was an explosion of rage. <laughs> rage. Guess what that means? There's something deep, really deep in there. That's, that is shameful. That is something you don't talk about, something I wasn't even aware about. There, I just exploded. It had to do with pornography. The exploitation and the objectification of women sexually. I could not deal with it. It sent me into a rage. An, an unusual rage. I mean, I agree it is, it is not a lovely thing. I don't think any woman thinks it's a lovely thing to be treated like an object, as a toy. But for me, it was over the top. This reaction was over the top. What is it? What is it? So it was ready to know. I was ready to know. And when my mother was 75 years old, she had never revealed any of this to us before. She was 75 years old, and she had had some surgery. I think she was fearful that she may die, and she wanted to unburden this. To re- I think to maybe, if there was bondage, she didn't want to con- let it continue to the next generation, um, to her granddaughter. And she... Uh, she told my sister that she, she had been raped um, by one of her brothers. Um, and she was dressed up real pretty, I think, in a red dress. And they had gone to a party, and they were on their way back from this party. And her brother had raped her. She had become pregnant, and she had gone for an abortion. And this is the shame that I saw in my mother's eyes. This was the deep, deep wounding. Why she couldn't accept her femininity. She didn't think she had worth. She didn't think she was valued. Because every time she thought, because she made herself pretty, that meant that she was going to be taken advantage of. So she kept herself plain. So that helped me understand why I had this rage toward pornography, toward, toward uh, the misuse and disrespect of uh, women's sexuality and then it even got worse than that I mean that was a revelation but what even got worse is that a few years later you know in my marriage that was not good I mean uh, not connected um, very distant very lonely very lonely yes like there was some, some I went to some play and this grandma this woman said now her one of her relatives got married to, she told this woman, now you're really going to know what loneliness is. <laughs> that was my story. Oh my gosh, how can you tell anybody? How could I tell anybody? I married, I married Prince Charming and, and I'm so incredibly lonely. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I was eating. I was using food, of course. I was so lonely, but I was married. I had these wonderful sons. I have three sons. Ah. Uh, 
And then I asked my husband, uh, is it pornography? Is it pornography? This bondage, this distance, this inability to see his wife as beautiful, to cherish. That was it. I wanted to be cherished. And he said yes. He was ready. He was ready. This is 22 years of marriage. This is a lot of loneliness. That's extreme. A lot of loneliness. And that's the darkest day of my life. Because you know what happened? My mother's abuser became my husband. My mother's abuser became my husband. I had tremendous, incredible oh, betrayal. Such woundedness. Like the area that I trusted my husband with, the most fragile, the most tender, the most precious, the most intimate that I thought I was just giving him, took it and flaunted it for 22 years. Flaunted it. This was hard. And at the same time, our finances ruined. We lost our home. We'd lost, and we'd just been moving from whoever would rent to us in the neighborhood. Oh, can we stay? The neighbors started getting afraid when they'd see us. Oh, they're going to want to stay in our guest house. Oh, we better tell them it's rented. So we stay here. Basically, my life was disintegrating. You know why? So I could surrender my will to God. I could surrender my will to God, and I did. And it was dark. It was dark. April 23rd, 2005, I couldn't stop the eating. I had lost what I thought was the last vestige, my sacredness of my sexual trust. I had lost the financial structure of our marriage. I wanted women love, need beautiful homes or a home. There was no security. I was living with my father-in-law. That's another story. Uh, So I came in and I surrendered my will with this food. And God began to show me how to love myself how to see myself and cherish myself, myself, treat myself kindly, treat myself gently. My husband's a very kind and a very gentle man. I saw that example. He has his own brokenness, yes. He has his own brokenness, like I did. But I can't say he was the, he was the, the terrible person in this. I think it's God's plan to heal both of us. And so I begin to learn how to love myself, Learn how to be kind, respectful to other people, and see the restoration in my life. And uh, the message, there's a little picture book that is, this is, I can't read it, but it's a beautiful picture book about um, reading to little girls about how special their bodies are, how perfect they're designed by God, and how the physical and sensual part of who they are, who they are is okay. And this is a sweet book is written by OBGYN, who you guys probably are familiar with. So uh, I am uh, still on this journey of reclaiming my sexuality, reclaiming my femininity, and that's what the next step is for me. And I think I can, I can finally believe, I can finally believe that I am a beautiful girl. I am a beautiful girl. I feel cherished and I feel loved by God, most of all. But I had replaced my higher power with, with my husband. How smart is that? And when he turned out to be human, my life was destroyed. But God told me, he told me a couple of things during this time. I was crumpled up on the floor. I just learned that my, my husband was a sexual addict. Um, and I was devastated. Um, and God said to me in my heart, I am going to make you beautiful. I am going to make you beautiful. And this is the journey we've been on. And now my sexuality comes from inside of me because I believe that. I believe I'm cherished by God. It doesn't, I don't need it from other people, from men or from, because a woman who really needs the validation of a man, that's kind of like an empty, desperate woman. Now I have the deepest need and longing in my heart met, but from God, not from any other relationship. And uh, do I have time? To, is my time up? 
I want to read you the gifts that I, that I received from my mother. Oh, what a precious, wonderful woman she was. She was wounded. She was, she was full of shame, but she gave me beautiful gifts. The first gift she gave me was to know that self-care is critically important. Taking time and going to the effort to look as beautiful as you can is an important expression of self-acceptance, embracing yourself with value and respect, caring for your body lovingly and kindly and gently, influences not only my own relationship, but with the relationships of everybody, how we care for ourselves, how we take care of ourselves. I learned that from my mother before she was ever healed of that. I never saw her healed of that, but I knew because she, it was so destructive. It was so sad, but I did learn that. The second thing I learned from my mother was to trust God every moment of every day and to pray about everything, every devo- everything, pray about everything. And I do that now. I pray with my boys. If something comes up, let's pray about it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's lean on God. Let's lean on somebody that has more strength and more wisdom than we do. The last thing I learned from my mother is she, to have a sweet, sweet spirit and to give, look with generosity outward to other people and with acceptance and humility serve other people. Be of service to other people, no matter who. Um, My mother gave her violated and deeply wounded places to God and trusted him, trusted these things to his care. And then she she left it. She spent the rest of her life concerned about uh, loving other people, her children, people in her community. She left her wounded places with God. And I am the demonstration And I am the embodiment of my mother's healing and wholeness. Thank you so much for letting me share. The meeting is now open for questions from the floor to panelists. We ask that uh, panelists limit your answers we say three minutes here, but to be honest, we've only got about uh, six or seven minutes for questions. And confine uh, your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. And we really will end uh, about nine minutes from now, which is um, a quarter of four. So, questions? Well, you assume that it's comfortable. <laughs> It ain't so. It's very scary. Um, <clears throat> I remember one year that uh, I would be at meetings and all these women were saying they were deciding to be celibate. Sound like you were doing that. And I said, what the fuck? You know, I mean, you got to give up food and booze and now this? Um, but we were doing, you know, for, and then a few months later, I said, I think I'm going to be celibate for a while. You know, that we went, that careening, that anorexia versus overindulgence, you know. Um, I still don't know any real meetings. I, You know, I've been in sexuality workshops where people talk like this. But in OA, and maybe it's just not, you know, so much about, even if you go to trainings in alcoholism counseling, it's all about the negative part of sex instead of the celebrating positive part of it, you know? And and there are adjustments we have to make, you know? Men men have performance problems in early sobriety and women have their things and nobody's talking about it in meetings that I've heard. So we are privileged to be doing this today. Thank you for bringing that up quickly. Um, I would just say that it starts by just opening your mouth once, and then the second time, and then the third time, and then the fourth time, and just let it be gradual. And just, if you're the only one who's talking about it, like I was for a long time in my meetings, um, that's okay. Other people will talk about it. And I still have people who come up to me today, you know, three years later, um, who, who thank me for talking about it. So just start with the, the, the first share.
We have time for one more question. The question was to repeat it for the microphone, um, for the recording. You're a mother of, you have boys. Your husband, their father, is, uh, has a sexual ish, uh, addiction. And the question was, how was that handled? Okay, fair. Um, my boys are 26, 23, and 17. Uh, when this broke in our marriage, my older two were teenagers. They and. They were caught up in it as far as my rage. The young one hasn't been. I have taught my boys since they were born to respect women, to cherish women, to open doors, to treat women as uh, beautiful, tender. I have, even before any of these revelations occurred, and... um, is a very it was a very focused instruction. Um, I've spent all all the time with my sons. I have home educated my sons, so I got an intense ability to be with them in the shaping of their attitudes toward women. And I and I also uh, now I'm also trying to say the positive, wonderful things about their dad. And now I'm able to pray for their dad, my husband. I wasn't able to pray for him for about 30 years. Because, see, these, these young men, these guys are men. They understand their dad. They understand the temptation. I can't just destroy because I have to be careful and gentle with their psyches. Because the sexual temptation is so, is so much more severe with men than with women. So I hope that helps a little bit. Believe it or not, it's time for questions over. However, this is the time we, uh, all the time we have for sharing. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers again. If you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table uh, to order copies of this session or any other session. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Now, let's try to all join hands and uh, get a circle, and uh, we'll start with, I put, we'll do the whole OA promise, which is I put my hand in yours. there. All set. I put my hand in yours, and together we 